from Relay FM. This is Download, recorded Thursday, March 8, 2018. This is episode 45, Android Pop Rocks. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other things you care about. I'm Jason Snell, your host, and I'm joined this week by two wonderful guests. Our, uh, she's still at the top of the list, our number one most prominent recurring panelist. She's back again, should be no surprise, editor of IT Pro Today, Lisa Schmeiser. Hello. Hi, thank you for having me back. It's, I'm glad that you, you are back again. It's always a pleasure. That's why we keep having you back. We're not dummies. We're not like, oh, Lisa, we don't like her. Let's keep inviting her back. That's not how it works, people. <laughs> um, Thursday morning, I'm waking up. Devendra Hardawar has also been here several times and is back because we like him, too. He's a senior editor at Engadget. Devendra, welcome back. Hey, yeah, thank you for having me back. I haven't scared you guys away, I guess. So no, that's good. definitely yeah. not. Um, oh, and uh, of course, download producer Stephen Hackett is here who helps select these interesting stories. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Jason. It's, uh, it's Thursday again. So this, this is, is what, we, this do what we do on, on Thursdays. Thursdays. Yes, that's right. Every seven days, whether we like it or not. And we like it. It's fine. Uh, okay, let's get down to it. These are what we have selected. Uh, Stephen and I go back and forth in a Google Doc, and I'm like, he puts in stories. I'm like, what about this one? What about that one? And we pick what we think are the most interesting stories to talk about every week. First topic is Android P. Google has released... That sounded funny. <laughs> what does an Android do after it drinks too much? Anyway, oh, uh, first We're developer adults. preview of the next version of Android. Um, and of course, as a child of the 70s, I immediately thought, come on, Android Pop Rocks. Android Pop Rocks. They explode in your mouth. It's mm-hmm. good. It could be. Yeah. Um, more details yeah. about this release will be shared, obviously, at Google I.O. in May. But some things are known already, including improved notification features, some changes to video, and uh, image capture form formats and support for that's right a display cutout because everybody's got a notch every on their phone uh, everybody's <laughs> apparently according to mobile world congress embracing the notch and so android p is going to embrace the notch too uh <laughs> so let's let's maybe start there um anything leap out at you in particular about these features devendra um i mean i think the notch thing is just kind of interesting right because i'm hoping that these companies are, you know, implementing notches because they have to, right? And not mm-hmm. because they want to have a phone mm-hmm. looks sort of like the iPhone 10. I hope they're actually trying to go for like, you know, an edge-to-edge screen or something. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to start seeing some that just look like the iPhone 10 and don't even have the benefit of that, you know. And that's uh, that's like the Android people following with the, you know, removing headphone jacks just because Apple did it. Uh, there, there's a big follow-the-leader trend there. Yeah, it's fun. It's funny. I had that same thought, which is, look, look, Apple removed the notch or had the notch for reasons, right? They wanted to go as far to the edges as they could, but they had a whole sensor stack they needed to put in there that, Mm -hmm. right? And that makes sense. But definitely the sense we got talking to people who were uh, at Mobile World Congress um, last week that that this is more of a me too kind of thing <laughs> like Ugh. you know yeah. now it's safe for us everybody can have their own notch and it can be stylish and it looks like you're using an iphone which that, I, I think that's the cutoff right it's like i don't i don't uh. the notch the notch if apple made that notch decision for a reason like i can get that other companies would make that decision if that was mm-hmm. the reason if they were doing the same hardware design but if it's basically we want to mimic the cultural or brand related uh, assets that come with apple then it makes no sense whatsoever like why not just come up with your own really distinctive and interesting um hardware design something that that breaks outside the the flat 
index card stack that we've all been holding in our hand mm-hmm. or shoving in our pocket for years. That's a lot of work. Um, yeah. And to be fair, like Essential did it first too, right? So yeah, yeah. And they just failed at it, but mm. it was a intriguing design. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm I'm personally disappointed we don't have the Wakandan bracelets yet with the beads. Mm. Because think about how so no think about how great modular tech would be in general. Like one of my favorite um, product lines out of Lenovo is this series of swappable hardware components where you put them together, and it's a tablet with a keyboard, but it's also got a projector attached attached yeah, to it. So yeah. you can do that, or you can swap in storage, or you can swap in um, you know more processing power if if you decide for whatever reason you want to do something that requires intense processing power while on a tablet. And the idea of swappable components and being able to customize that way would be great for your phone. And I understand that there are probably engineering challenges and getting it down to a consumer price point would be a considerable, would be, a you know, like, that's the real issue. But why are we still... Like, well, we we have to keep everything in one lump of glass and plastic and metal, and um, the real challenge is figuring out where the notches go. Like, why why are we why are we still there? Why is that? We're, yeah, <laughs> we're in a weird like I don't know uh, stale like a stale zone for design. Mm-hmm. Like, because, it's like the Performa pizza box of, yeah. of phones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I'm I'm still bitter about the headphone jack too. So I, I own an iPhone ten. And like the amount of times I, I'm happy with it, and then every day I just look down. It's like, oh, I want to plug in a headphone, I want to plug in an aux jack or something. Just can't do it in 2018 uh, on, on the mm-hmm. most powerful phone on the planet. Like, yeah, it's it kills me. As many players as there are in the smartphone space, the fact is, like, let's just call it, there are almost no players that have the ability to push design forward. It's a handy, right? right? right. Apple will do it. Samsung will do it. Occasionally, somebody else will do it, or Google is now kind of pushing that a little bit. But like most of these phone makers, they aren't capable of doing anything new. They are going to follow the trends and maybe even stick in a notch because it's safe for them to do it now and it makes them look more like the iPhone. And so you've got this limited... The young people want the notches, and so we have to put them in. Mm -hmm. And you could argue, I mean, I know this is going to make people uh, roll their eyes that we're talking about Apple in an Android segment, but like this is one of the reasons Apple exists and it's good for everybody, even if you never buy an Apple product that they exist is Apple is maybe the company that is best suited to make these wacky decisions. And some of them make people angry, like when Devendra just talked about the headphone jack. But like, at least <laughs> Apple is a company that seems culturally to be willing to push products into weird areas. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but the industry kind of follows. And there are some other companies that are capable of it. But like, that's, that's whenever you talk about things just kind of calcifying, I mean, that's what I keep coming mm-hmm. back to is mm-hmm. that it's not like there are 10 different phone makers who are doing wildly innovative phone designs out there. That's unfortunately just kind of not true. They're all just kind of going down the line. And to me, that's actually one of the biggest disappointments of Android is you have an operating system that multiple hardware makers do use to put out different phone models. And literally none of them have ever thought that, hey, what if we get a little crazy with design and appeal to people who really want to live in the year 38, you know, 3018, <laughs> as opposed to that the rest of us here in 2018? Like, yeah, the problem is that Samsung and Apple have locked up the premium yeah. space, yeah. right? Which is what that phone would cost. I, I, I mean, yeah. that's kind of what Essential was trying to do, right? Is make a, and Red, I suppose, is trying to do that too, make a really <laughs> expensive future phone. It's just really yeah. hard, hard business to be in. I suppose part of my disappointment too comes from um, being of a generation where people could and did heavily modify their, their desktop computers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you'd build them out from scratch, you'd mod the case, you'd do all sorts of stuff like that. And phones are such a closed product hardware wise. Um, 
I don't see there being a big culture of modification or personalization. So there hasn't been that organic demand from users the same way that there was. I would argue, for example, that the um, iMac designs of the 1990s came about because somebody at Apple, and God, here we go again with the Apple, but somebody at <laughs> Apple had the insight where they're like, listen, people are, are already customizing their machines. They're doing things to the cases. They're, they're, you know, decorating their laptops really heavily. Why don't we just admit that these, these devices are part of our visual landscape and treat them like a design element? So it came from people who are already doing that. And we haven't had a similar type of cultural moment or aha with phones. Instead, we've mm-hmm. had an entire market of really awful phone covers. Yeah, well, I mean, because that's that's what you end up with. And and you can yeah. put personality on that. I mean, I always liked um, our, our friend uh, John Syracuse talks about the phone as the naked robotic core. And there is something to that. Like, you have to make the phone the, 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 the center of it. And it is unchanging. And then you accessorize. But you kind of have to do that on the outside. I just keep thinking about Adoru um, by William Gibson and how there was this entire company called the Sandbenders, where basically all they did was take, again, the naked robotic core and then be like, we can cover this in a carapace made of driftwood and seashells. Or um, <laughs> we can we can cover this in tribal beating and change how you interface with it because you are the one who figures out how how to customize the way you want to interact. And I'm like, why not that with your phone? Your phone is the most intimate computing experience you have next to your smartwatch. You know, people mm-hmm. are rarely that far away from their phone. They carry it with them everywhere. They're ar- they're around it constantly and daily. And it's kind of astounding to me that no company has decided to stake out either a premium market or a mainstream market where they're like, don't you want this experience to be beautiful and customizable and different? And for me, the notch represents a huge failure of imagination. Well, I guess uh, didn't uh, when Motorola was under Google, right? Like they tried to do that with the whole Mm -hmm. Moto X thing. And that was so cool and kind of exciting and, you know, making in the US and everything. And nobody bought it. So it's like, yeah, I, I do wonder what it will take to make the story thing succeed with consumers. And one hopeful side on Android, by the way, is that, uh, you know, the uh, the HTC crew who are moving over to the Pixel team, I really do wonder what kind of hardware they could put together because that was exciting. I really yeah. like the Pixel mm-hmm. 1 and the Pixel XL, even though they were boring, they felt really good and they were just like nice, nice, quiet machines. That I kind of adored. They had a good hand feel when you held them. Yeah, like they, they, just, they, they felt solid. Felt really mm-hmm. solid and good. And it could be. Well, look. I mean, I, I think the only players that can that can really make uh, a change here are Apple, Google, and Samsung because mm-hmm. Samsung has the hardware clout. And although I make fun of Samsung's software efforts a lot, they do at least make an effort on the so- <laughs> to build some software that ties in with their hardware. Google obviously gets you know and is increasing their capacity to build hardware and software together, which could be incredibly powerful because they don't have to you know roll a notch feature in mm-hmm. later they can build a new phone and build features into android to tie directly into it and that's kind of what is required and that's the apple playbook too is is they control both and and they can push forward so those are the players who have to balance you know keeping their huge uh, market uh, market shares and uh, and and the billions of dollars that they get in revenue, and in, in the case of Apple, with um, pushing this stuff forward, and yeah. it does feel like it's just we're in a pause now, where where there's the notch is the most exciting thing to happen in smartphones <laughs> in a while, and it's literally just an empty space with sensors in it. Yeah, it's just like uh, the reason I brought the headphone thing is because it feels like you're looking at you know a symptom of an actual good change, right? The push towards, you know, removing bezels and making our screens like cover the entire front of the phone. 
And by focusing on the notch, it's like you're completely missing the point. And I do feel like a lot of people do right. that with the headphone jack, too. It, it, it's, it's negative space. It's not there's I mean, the sensors are there and they're nice, but they're not the reason. Yeah. The reason is that we can't make the sensors invisible. So we have to exactly stick a notch in. And I do want to point out, like, we are seeing some really interesting niche phones these days, like uh, that Razer phone. I have a lot of problems with it. The camera isn't great, uh, but they're pushed towards a 120 hertz refresh rate. Uh, that thing looks beautiful. If you see that in person, just like watch, scroll down a web page. It is glorious. Um, so there are cool niche things like that, uh, but nobody's buying them. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, going back to Android Pop Rocks, I'm just going to make that a thing now. Um, I think the notifications thing is interesting. They're going to add, um, you know, richer me- messaging within notifications, uh, smart reply buttons, some things that Apple's also tinkered with. And I think this is interesting where Google and Apple both seem to be kind of like slowly iterating on notifications, which... I'm encouraged by just in the sense that nothing frustrates me more than the fact that I've got this incredibly smart internet connected device in my pocket or occasionally on my wrist, right, with like a, a watch. And notifications are bad. Like they're, yeah, they're yeah. really bad. They need to be way better. So I'm encouraged that, that Google is at least pushing this forward with Android because there's so much more that could be done on both platforms. I love the smart reply feature so much. It's good, yeah. right? You, you never break your stride. You can stay in, in your existing context text with a quick reply. I was going to say, it understands the nature of a lot of these interactions, too, which is, no, pe- fine, people do have heart-to-hearts over text all the time, but but it's most often used for quick transmission of information and the kind of conversation where you just need a really fast reply or you need like to be to, to acknowledge that you've you've read and processed they have so sure i can do that um i'll see you then sounds good thanks a lot can't talk right now like all of those stock social niceties. It would. I, I love having them in Gmail. I'm glad that you know you'll have the option to have them also in text, and and go from there. Um, I full full disclosure I, with your with my Apple Watch. My problem is that I can't customize the list. Mm-hmm. And I would love you know if if this if if Android Pop Rocks allows <laughs> uh, it allows users the latitude to put together their list of you know we have ten stock replies now enter ten of your own. Um. A, it will be immensely useful for people who who want to be useful, and B, imagine the meme culture and internet culture that will spring up around it when people get a chance to customize and decide to start having conversations using nothing but auto replies or something like that. So <laughs> I like that idea a lot. I agree with Jason. Notifications are borked and they're stressful right now. And what I have found really interesting in a broader like digital conversation context is the way people are like, well, notifications are stressing you out. So simply turn off notifications on all your stuff. And I right. thought, well, well, yes, that is one way to deal with the problem. Perhaps another way <laughs> is to improve notifications by improving the way that they're presented to people and improving the options people have to respond and react to the information make them useful as opposed to well that didn't work bye (laughs) so i I feel like this is kind of a a good step towards that Mm -hmm. yeah notifications kind of remind me of where um you know once rss became a thing and everybody Mm -hmm. was doing it and then we were like oh no like I'm being drowned by my RSS feeds. Like this the is terrible. Fire hose. <laughs> yeah, what is yeah. this? It's terrible. Yeah. I do wonder. Like in addition to like better interactions, just better awareness too of our devices. Like if I'm doing something important, maybe don't flash a news alert. That's maybe not as important too. Like there's a lot of context awareness that these things will need eventually, and there are privacy issues around that, of course. But I'm waiting for our computers to get smarter, basically, because right now it's just like a flood of information and. Yeah, the only thing you could do is either ignore it or turn them off. 
So you mentioned context awareness, and this is another thing that I'm honestly kind of baffled by, by both Android, and not both, but by Android, Microsoft, Apple, basically any one of the computing um, environments where they're really promoting a lot of uh, fluid computing between your watch mm-hmm. and your tablet and your phone and your laptop and, and this and that is why do they not offer users the opportunity to set context-dependent parameters? Like, if you see me working on this machine, do not turn on XYZ notifications. If you see me primarily interfacing with the phone, switch to this set of conditions. If you see me at these hours, like, you could make it dependent on either device or time of day. And it would be a great way to customize and control information flow. So like you said, you know, your, your news alerts only pop up if you've got your phone and you're walking around town or what have you. Or, um, I have a friend who, God love her, loves to text me at 10 o'clock in the morning with her complaints. And, um, <laughs> like she's a great person and I'm, and a great friend and I'm happy to support her. But man, if there were a way where I could punt that to like seven o'clock at night. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so that would be great is if you could have more context awareness or, you know, either you teach your, your hardware and software ecosystem what your most consistent contexts are, or you have a chance to define them for yourselves and then tweak them from there. Mm-hmm. It's just weird to me that we have, we have user IDs that are fluid and, and float between your phone and your, and your tablet and your, and your computer, but we don't have the ability to control the computing environment beyond confirming that, yes, this is the same person who's using all five of these devices. Apple's experimented with this, right? Like the Siri app suggestions is an example of this, where it's trying to tell you, Mm -hmm. like, in this context, I think you might want this app. Just the other day, it was just yesterday, I was walking in um, in my, uh, the town where I live, in the downtown, um, which I'm not usually down there, and I flipped open to uh, search for Yelp, because I was trying to figure out where I was going to have lunch. And uh, Yelp was a suggestion. I was like, I see you, Siri app suggestions. Something twigged you that I might be using you at this time. And I do, I wonder if that is, uh, that is in the future of notifications, is turning some machine learning on your notification flow and letting you, which, you know, I know is scary because it's like the, now your device is telling you what to see. But if it could provide relief and float things up that it thinks are important and maybe even let you train it to say, no, that wasn't mm-hmm. important. I'd take it. I'd I'd take that for a spin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one other thing about uh, Android Pop Rocks that I wanted to mention is uh, the video <laughs> stuff. So they're adding um, uh, HDR support uh, for uh, an HDR version of VP9 for video, which is kind of cool. And for people who always grumble when Apple changes file formats, I'll point out that um, in Android P, uh, they will support the Heath image compression format and the AGIC uh, container file format, which is exactly the uh, format that is now supported with iOS 11 on uh, newer iPhones. And it's a dramatically better format than JPEG for a lot of reasons. There are compatibility issues, but like they're way smaller and they look better. Um, And Google is getting on that train too. It's an open standard. It's not an Apple thing. It's just a thing that Apple Apple picked up and now um, Android's going to pick it up too which means basically it's going to become the standard for everybody pretty soon if every phone is shooting in Heath, i feel like that that mm-hmm. is over and i think that's good because these pictures are huge and they'll be half the size now these super high quality uh phone shots that we're all taking so they'll back up faster lots of good reasons for it but i just for for people who who care i think that's a cool thing that google is also not afraid 
I, I, I'd say maybe unlike this is maybe uncharitable to Microsoft, but in the heyday mm-hmm. of Microsoft and Windows, Microsoft was afraid to make big changes because they had such a huge install base. And I think it's interesting yeah. that 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 Google seems to be more willing to say, nope, this is a better thing. We're going to add it like this is we're just going to go there, which it'd be fascinating to compare the financials to see if if to, to see where the, whether that conservatism was just like um, something that was part of corporate culture or whether there were like bean counters were like you can't do that because this is a huge source of revenue. Um, mm-hmm. Like compare the Google financials over this period to Microsoft and its Arkham well, Google doesn't make money on the OS, unlike Microsoft. No, so they that's... make money off of ads. They're basically an ad company with a really healthy tech research division. Uh, okay, well, so Android Pop Rocks is uh, here. You'll hear more in May. They'll announce that it's Pop Rocks at some point. I won't be credited. That's fine. Um, and the kid in the Pop Rocks commercial <laughs> did not die by putting soda in his mouth when he was having Pop Rocks. Look it up if you don't know what Pop Rocks are. I'm telling you, they were awesome. They still make them, I think. They're cool. They explode in your mouth. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it's a taste sensation. That's what I'm saying. We introduced our kids to them not too long ago, and it was it was a real scene in our kitchen, freaking out, running around. It was very <laughs> it's great. exciting. It's awesome. I remember getting those as a little kid and being like, just blown away by them. All right. We have way more to talk about here. Uh, probably not as much about Pop Rocks, but other things. Uh, but first a sponsor. This episode of Download is brought to you by Timing, the automatic time tracking app for Mac OS. Let's talk about why you should be tracking your time. Anyone who bills their hours, it seems obvious, but even if you're uh, employed at a regular job or you're billing per project, you often will need to estimate how long a specific task is going to take. Time tracking helps you stay on track with these estimates to make sure you don't end up in the red with your projects and that can help to make more accurate estimates in the future. Timing doesn't make you start and stop timers. It automatically watches what you do on your Mac, tracks how much time you spend on each app, in each website, in each document, and then it can show you exactly when you were working on what, when you were staring into space, into the middle distance and not working, (laughs) how productive you've been. You can get a little report. You can classify, like, when I'm on this website, that's for this project, and that's work, and when I'm on this website, that's not work. Um, And that all works uh, really well. I've been using it for a while, and uh, it's kind of remarkable how it... uh, once you train it a little bit about what to do, it can come up with these amazing estimates of how you actually spend your time. Now, work doesn't just happen sitting on your uh, on your Mac, so timing's uh, timeline automatically makes some suggestions for filling the gaps in your timeline when you go away somewhere, so you won't ever forget to fill in a meeting. Timing is so confident that you'll love their fuss-free approach. They offer a completely free trial. You can download a free 14-day trial and track a couple of weeks and see how great it is by going to timingapp.com slash download, and you will save 10% when you decide to buy. Stop guessing how you spend your time and instead focus on doing what you're good at thank you timing for supporting download timing probably could tell me how long that ad was but i'm not going to ask it topic number two is movie pass the service that allows subscribers to see as many movies in the theater in 2d which is i think a bonus uh as they want <laughs> for a flat rate as low as 7.95 a month they're uh they're they they're kind of in trouble a little bit they they had some bad press this week because their ceo went to an industry event and boasted that the (laughs) app tracks your location and follows you to and from the theater here's what he said we watch how you drive from home to the movies and we watch where you go afterward now people people got mad uh and a few days later an update to their ios app came out and it actually contained uh 
removed unused app location capability, which is interesting. <laughs> so it may, makes you wonder if the CEO was just kind of boasting about things that were not actually going on. The company actually said, part of our vision includes using location-based marketing to enhance the movie-going experience for mm-hmm. our members, but we're not using some of some of that functionality today. Our members will always have the option to choose the location-based services that are right for them today and in the future. So, but they have talked about in the past being a service about planning an entire evening out and not just going to the movies. Um, unclear if they were actually collecting data here or whether this was just kind of a dream of a future where they know everything about your uh, your habits when you go to the movies. Um, what do you guys think of a movie pass as a product? And then also, like, ha- has your mind been altered about them after hearing this this week? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been following MoviePass for a while, right? Since they launched, like they, they had a couple launches here in New York. So way back, I think like 2012, 2013. And it was initially very expensive and they had a lot of trouble like getting traction. And since they, you know, brought in this new CEO, he pushed really hard to, you know, lower the subscription price. And I think that's worked out pretty well. But I've also been really suspicious of what they've been doing after that. Um, it's a weird thing. Like I've, I've interviewed, uh, Mitch Lowe a couple of times and he's definitely one of those CEOs that feels like you're lying to my face right now, but okay. But you know, I, I'll, we'll carry on this conversation. Um, he definitely has this idea of like turning the service into something that's, you know, inexpensive and you can plan your whole night out with it. But I also got the sense, like, given how unrealistic this pricing is that they're going to be selling and, uh, you know, all sorts of marketing and tracking data. We don't know if they're doing it yet. Um, but I think what he was really bragging was that they have the capability to do it, uh, because of the way the app works. So, you know, I'm more suspicious of MoviePass than ever. Uh, I'm not a subscriber anymore. I used to be when it was much more expensive. Um, but it's a company that, you know, it's hard to trust. That, that's the thing. Like, we know this is too good to be true. A $10 a month service for unlimited movie tickets cannot work. Um, so what are they really building here? I, I'm just like inherently suspicious now. I, I think it's worth noting that they flat out lied in their first statement yep. when, because yep. well, they said, we won't be, we will not be selling the data that we gather. Rather, we'll be using it to better inform how to market potential customer benefits, including discounts on transportation, coupons for nearby restaurants, and other similar opportunities. Opportunities. You can't pull together those marketing opportunities unless you can go to those partners and say, we have an excellent business case for you. Mm-hmm. And here is your potential customer base. And here are their spending habits. And here's what they do. So all of that is selling the data. That is literally what it yeah. is, is collecting the data. Even if it's not data. directly you're selling yeah. it, but yeah. Yeah, what you're, but you are. It's, it's, it's the same thing as lead gen, where, you know, all mm-hmm. you're doing is, is, compiling data and then promising people access to the users as represented by their data clusters. So, you know, they're lying flat out there. What I find interesting and intriguing about the positioning is um, the way they have deftly inserted themselves into the larger conversation about the movie going experience in general, because mm-hmm. there has been a lot lately about how um, going to the movies is no longer something people just like hop in the car and do. It's become an increasingly expensive endeavor between ticket prices and concession prices. And, um, I'm not even going to get into the whole, you know, if you have to line up a babysitter and then there's parking, blah, 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 because nobody needs to hear about that. But the point is, is that going to the movies now is like what going to a concert was in the 80s, which is it's a pricey endeavor. And so for them to be like, no, we recognize this is a complete experience. And and don't you want to make a night of it? It's an interesting way to try to subtly reposition the whole movie experience away from the 
does not everyone go on Friday night to see the latest blockbuster um, posture that a lot of the chains have instead. So um, I, I think that's kind of a nifty dis- distraction tactic, but mm-hmm. it fundamentally doesn't take away from the fact that these people are selling you extremely cheap movie access because they're counting on using all of the data about you to sell you to their partners. And anybody who thinks that they're not the product here hasn't really been looking at what this this thing actually is. There's a there's a really interesting uh, episode of Recode Media, uh, a podcast, and they they have the transcript online, so I've linked to that in the show notes with uh, Mitch Lowe, and and all these points come up that you know you you're losing money on every customer. This idea of wanting to expand into we're not just the movie, but we're everything else, right? Like use Movie Pass for your entire evening out. And uh, I had the same sense y'all did listening to this. Like, I just don't believe what this guy is saying. Like this company doesn't add up on paper. It doesn't add up if you think about it for more than four seconds. And that, you know, I, I think it's an overused phrase, but the idea of, you know, who who's the customer and who's the product, I think really is something to consider with this company. And, you know, whether or not the app was actually doing what he said it was doing or if there that's in the future and he you know was taken out of context or he misspoke whatever happened clearly if you're using a product like this you you need to be aware that you know there is some trade off going on and you know that's if the, if that's what you want to do that's totally fine i'm not judging the app or, or its customers but it's something i think to be definitely aware of when something you know like you know, eight ten dollars a month go see as as many movies as you want there's an example mm-hmm. in this podcast mm-hmm. about um uh, these people who basically try to see as many movies a month as possible. Like they have these users at the very high end of their user base seeing a movie a day. It's like, well, wow. you are just burning money on this customer. But uh, it's just, it's a very fascinating company because it, it really takes so much of what we know about Silicon Valley and makes it like really easy to understand. You know, when it's a software service, (laughs) it's harder to kind of put your head around, but it's like, okay, a movie ticket costs this and I'm paying you this. Uh, I can see very clearly that doesn't add up. I can make an argument that there is a business model for MoviePass that works, maybe not at the price, which seems to be funded by venture capital for you know oh, yeah. future reasons but mm-hmm. but but at, and their uh, new owners by the way like they were acquired by a uh what helios matheson analytics like oh boy. the name tells <laughs> you what they are tells you everything uh, the minute analytics is there you should yeah, immediately assume you're the product Yutani corporation yeah analytics <laughs> um the but i i believe it like look every service like this that's a monthly service there's going to be a bell curve and it's just a matter of like you're going to have people who use it a lot and you're going to have people who don't use it and you make money on those people and you just need to set it at the point where you're profitable, uh, where, you know, it, it is used enough, but not used too much. I, I would also argue that like, if you're a, a super excited movie pass person, um, who's going every day to see every movie, like you're, yeah, there's some lost revenue there. Um, and, and I don't know how movie pass compensates theaters for it, but you could argue that, that person would not that person is is probably seeing not seeing sold out shows so they're just taking a seat that would otherwise go unsold mm-hmm. they they pay the theaters directly so they pay a full price ticket 
So it doesn't even matter if it's a sold out. That's yeah. that's the that's the thing. So that's a great deal for theaters, <laughs> right? Because but they hate it. Yeah, yeah, because because they you know they're getting somebody to come thirty times and all that. But again, it, it, it there's a line you could draw where you at the center of the bell curve where this business model totally makes sense. It's just yeah. there's no way it does it at seven ninety five. Um, yeah. But I like I mean as a product I like the idea of it. As somebody who doesn't go, I was just saying this on a podcast last night that Lisa was on. Um, I don't go to a lot of movies and I work at home. I, I set my own hours. You know, I can, I can actually go out sometimes during the day and see a movie. I never do. Oh, yeah. And I look oh, at movie pass. That's my and favorite like, thing to do on days off. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I look yeah. at movie pass and I think, you know what? That might actually work for me because I would just not even think about it. I would just be able mm-hmm. to go. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Is, is in the end when all the, the, the fallout from this settles, like is, something like movie pass a good product idea or is it just dumb and we should mm-hmm. you know we should just buy tickets to movies we want to see it, it's definitely a good idea like right i think the enthusiasm over this and everything mm-hmm. you're seeing like it's solving a problem too because i live in new york a normal movie ticket is 16 dollars. so you know i buy one ticket and movie pass is already losing money um but it, it, it kind of simplifies the whole movie going experience, which is nice. Um, as you're mentioning, there's definitely a price where it makes sense as a service. The thing is, Mitch Lowe is, he's kind of known as like a marketing genius. Like he's the guy who priced the Redbox thing at like a dollar a disc for, per night and helped Redbox become a huge hit. Uh, he's an early Netflix guy too, I think. Um, so he's coming in with this like marketing experience and he knows he can make a splash with this pricing and that's what he did and that led to this acquisition uh yeah the question is where do they go from here i think a lot of people are going to be disappointed when they find that you know this has to be 20 or 30 bucks a month once again yeah that's the this is uh forgive me for bringing up something that i always do but this this is the same story as the cord cutters everybody wants to get something for nothing or the imagine that suddenly an entire industry that is taking your money is going to let you uh only give it half of what you used to give it and that's just not going to happen like somebody's going to pay eventually and right now it may be the investors in this company but in the end there will be a product with a price but it's not going to be like i can't believe it's going to be one of those things where it's like yeah okay that's basically right at the line of it being a fair deal and that and that's just that's the same way with when you cut the cord but you have to increase your service provider's uh internet fee and that's your cable company and guess what and then you sign up for three different streaming services and guess what you're paying the same amount because they are going to get the money that out of you that they want to get out of you and that that's not going to change the the economics aren't going to change i think the key phrase here though um that's popped up a few times is the movie going experience yeah and that's ultimately what they're selling because there are movies that you do only want to see on the big screen um for example my husband is uh still sorrowful he didn't get to see dunkirk on a big screen oh man right Yeah. yeah um and I will tell you, there was a world of difference between watching Guardians of the Galaxy in a theater versus watching it on the back of an airport's airplane seat, as I did one time as well. Um, no, yeah. and it, it is an experience. And if, if they, if MoviePass does it right, they'll be able to, um, convince people they're buying an experience experience and so they'll be writing a retail trend. There, there is a lot of opportunity for upsell and tie in then. Yeah. Um, I was thinking I live 
in a small Bay Area town as well. Um, <laughs> small Bay Area towns unite. We have a local theater, and right next to it is a bistro where you can actually order your food to be delivered from the bistro to your your seat <laughs> while <laughs> while you're watching the movie. And so they they are already packaging this whole complete night where it's like you can pre buy your tickets, you can pre order your food. We'll give you a reserved seat in the theater. We'll bring your food to you, and it's delicious. And they even have their own special entrance into the theater. They have their own special line for concessions because those concessions include booze. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been really interesting watching people, watching my neighbors and my friends just like cleave to that because they've made the entire movie going experience completely frictionless from buying your tickets to getting your food and you feel pampered and spoiled and you're ignoring the fact that you're paying 18 bucks for a hamburger. Right. And my guess is that eventually movie pass will try to find a way to make the the upsells the the dinner or the drinks beforehand or the dinner afterwards they'll try to sell it as an entire experience package and so maybe we'll be looking at tiered services as well as you can have a basic movie pass or you can have a movie pass that seems like a better bargain or what they'll do is they'll start imposing limits like fine you have your eight dollar a month movie pass you only get to watch three movies with that to get the unlimited experience is three times as much um yeah which they used to do by the way so that was the whole Mm -hmm. thing yeah Interesting stuff. I wanted to mention one more point about uh, selling personal information before we move on, because this is not new. <laughs> and I just want to point out, like, every business that uh, that you could think of that has a customer list, like, you think of how they make money, which is that they've got somebody paying them for it. They all, they, they don't, these, I don't want to say all, most businesses are not strong enough to say no when somebody comes to them and says, you can make some extra money by renting out that list of your customers to someone else. They generally will be like, oh, it's more money for us. We'll say yes. And my, what I learned from the magazine industry was list rental was a part of the business. And so, you know, you subscribe to a magazine and people who, who used to subscribe to magazines will know this. You suddenly get lots of mail <laughs> lots from various yeah. things with various offers. And was it was it as gross then as this kind of stuff is now? Yeah, it totally was. I, I kind of like that people are more up in arms about it now in digital than, than we were back in the day. But, but this has always been the case that businesses have been happy to sell your privacy out uh, once you become their customer to everybody else who's paying. And that that's not new. It's just more visible and maybe a little more brazen now. Let's take a break, and I will tell you about a story you might have missed. But first, I want to tell you about Pingdom. Uh, This episode brought to you by our friends at Pingdom. Uh, The reason Pingdom is awesome is because they keep your sites and the sites you love online. They monitor your site so you don't have to and give you real-time feedback so you know exactly what's going on at all times. Stuff is breaking on the internet all the time. Pingdom detects about 13 million outages, more than 400,000 outages a day, 13 million outages every month. Wow, uh, the internet's so broken. <laughs> so regardless of whether you have a small website or if you're managing a complete infrastructure, it's super important to monitor its availability and performance. You don't want your site to be down and not know about it until someone complains. You should be the one who knows first and hopefully get it back up before the complaints start rolling in. Pingdom will let you do that. All you need to do is give Pingdom the URL you want to monitor. They take care of the rest. So go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM. That's P-I-N-G-D-O-M dot com slash RelayFM right now and you'll get a 14 date free trial no credit card required and when you sign up use the code download at checkout to get 30 percent off your first invoice thank you to pingdom for supporting this show and relay fm 
Now, time for the story you might have missed, something that may have flown under your radar but is worth mentioning. Uber's self-driving program made a big step this week. The company's fleet of self-driving trucks has begun hauling commercial loads in Arizona. There are still humans in the trucks, for now, as a safety measure. The trucks are part of the Uber Freight program. It's an app that connects shippers with truckers who can haul their, their, uh, their loads. And what I think is really interesting about the way they do it is, basically, the Uber self-driving stuff is connecting these long, boring stretches where there's not a lot going on it's it's kind of like a train except on a highway and then they have people involved sort of when you get into the city and you need to drive and go to the loading dock and all of that they actually transfer back to a human but the idea there is that there's stretches of that road that don't need that level of, uh, of, of of focus and when i was driving through nevada last summer i noticed that there are a lot of like triple trailers from amazon and fedex and ups out on interstate 80 in the middle of nevada where there's nothing and i thought well that's the kind of stuff that gets automated eventually i should also say tesla is making news with their next generation trucks elon musk that guy posted a photo on wednesday showing two of those trucks embarking on their first delivery run taking batteries between two tesla facilities 500 miles apart within the range of the all-electric trucks. So yes, Tesla's using trucks to move batteries that are also running the trucks. To uh, It's a whole Tesla thing that's happening there. So self-driving trucks in Arizona, probably in Nevada at some point, I would imagine soon. Um, uh, you know, I think it's an interesting development. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Like self-driving for all, for everything, please. I cannot wait yeah. for this. Well, one of the biggest uh, handicaps in the trucking industry is a lack of steady labor. There's mm-hmm. always a persistent shortage in truck drivers. And this is a great way to um, reduce the demand for truck drivers so that they can actually keep hiring fairly level. And um, you know, I, I mean, I realize a lot of the early stories are they took our jobs, but the truth is no one fills these jobs for very long anyway. It's and a brutal truck- job. Long haul trucking. It's awful. No, it's awful. And There's they have a to lot- sleep. So it's fundamentally inefficient because they're human beings and they have to sleep. And there are a lot of regulations that go along with um, how fast you can go, how many miles a day you can do. And the, Problem is there's a disconnect between the regulations and what the what your clients want because if you're like sorry my dude can only drive for 12 hours a day and he can only do 70 miles an hour that's top speed and the client's like funny because I live more my, my my warehouses are more than 840 miles apart I look forward to seeing how you're going to get this done in 10 hours like that's the perpetual issue that trucking companies have to deal with. Um, this helps considerably, at least with one of the human factors. And it, it'll be interesting to see how it's regulated. I like the idea, too, that maybe the way we first see this is on these on these long stretches of road. And then the job, the job of the truck driver becomes a little more normalized, where you can imagine their job is to go to, you know, is to go out to the facility where go the, the robot, depot, where the robot the truck. trucks are coming in and transfer that to your rig. And then you drive it into the city and you make sure that it's unloaded and you do all of the, that kind of stuff where humans are, at least for now, probably way better at that job, especially when they're awake and they're sleeping in their own bed at night and things like that. So, um, I mean, I'm not an expert on the trucking. There's probably somebody out there who's listening to this in a truck right now who says, no, you got it totally wrong and you should write in. Um, but this is interesting, like permutations of like what, where do self-driving trucks work and maybe where they don't work and, uh, Uh, it's all happening apparently in Arizona. My mom lives in Arizona. So I chuckled at the fact that um, apparently Arizona's self-driving vehicle laws are incredibly permissive. So yeah, that's, uh, there's an article I keep meaning. I keep meaning to read this week on the Southwest boom and self-driving tech because, because of that. Um, Also sidebar, um, 
I was a judge at the Neil Awards this year, which are um, awards for business journalism. And one of the pieces I got to read and judge was on the boom in trucking industry podcasts. Because when you are in a cab for 10 to 12 hours a day, driving these incredibly boring stretches through Western Nebraska or whatever, these guys are now recording podcasts while they drive. Oh my God, that's that's and nice. That's even better. They're, they first they're listening, yes. and then that's the podcast effect, right? You first you listen, yes. and then you make your own Isn't podcast. It? That's and great. so now, so now basically, I have to go back and find the article because now I'm super curious to see what truckers have to say about their own industry while they're while they're yeah. engaging in it. It's, it's like great. CB CB radio via podcast. Uh, yes. That's a very yes. very 2018 sort of thing. I, I like. Sure. I mean, Arizona being. Uh, having a lot of empty space, and and I mentioned Nevada. I think that's one of the great benefits of certain parts of the country in terms of doing self driving tech is that there's lots of places where there's not a lot of traffic and there's lots of distance, and that's not only really boring for human beings, but it's a it is a better place to test a self driving vehicle because there's nothing out there, and that's good. Like I, I you know I, it's great that Google is training their cars in Mountain View, but I, I can see the appeal of taking that truck and pointing it down the the highway in the de- middle of the desert where there's not a lot going on. Um, we have one more topic, but I want to tell you about our last sponsor as well. It is from uh, MacPaw Set App. This is the first subscription service for Mac apps. It's offering more than 100 apps in its collection now, including big names like Ulysses, Bartender, and Amazing. It's got a set price of $9.99 per month. SetApp is attracting hordes of loyal users, which is one of the reasons it just won Consumer Product of the Year on Product Hunt. SetApp offers curated apps from reputable vendors. You don't have to waste time sifting through subpar applications on the App Store. It installs on your Mac as a handy catalog. You can easily flip through apps and then just click to install those that you want. Once you're a subscriber, you just the apps are there. You just click and install them and use them, and that's it. It's got more than 100 apps and categories from lifestyle and productivity to developer tools. So you have an app for every job on the Mac. There are no paid upgrades, no in-app purchases, no other hidden costs. Every app is fully functional and updates automatically for free. Setup is totally free to try, and you can earn six more months free by referring your friends. Head over to setapp.com now to try over 100 powerful apps for your Mac. That's S-E-T-A-P-P dot com. Thank you to SetApp for supporting. Download. On to topic number three, which is about the march of time. Ten years ago this week, Apple announced the iPhone development SDK, which is basically the tools for developers to make apps in advance of the launch of the App Store, which which happened in July of 2008. So they had a few months to get their apps ready to go. And the initial apps were pretty basic compared to today, but this is where it all started. The idea of a thriving App Store ecosystem, which has taken over all smartphones and everywhere else, basically, in the world. So uh, I wanted to mark time and just talk about this a little bit bit um what do you what do you think devendra would you think the iphone could have ever broken through as the kind of hit that it became if there wasn't an app store oh definitely not Uh, i think like that whole ecosystem you know is key to apple's mobile explosion and honestly the entire mobile industry right and uh, what's fascinating is that you know apple had the insight for this hardware and kind of how people could use it but it it's funny to me that even they were surprised i think or didn't really plan 
for this, like the way apps should be opened, right? The, the whole idea initially was web apps and not much control over them. And I think the demand for it, uh, the need for it was so surprising to Apple. That's something that shows that even, you know, Apple is not impervious here or perfect. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced that they didn't realize they were going to have to do it eventually. But as yeah, somebody who, yeah. who tried that initial phone in January when it was announced and discovered that most of the apps, well, not most, like half of the apps were just screenshots because they didn't exist yet. <laughs> I'm not sure they had any capability. Like, I'm not sure they knew how to build apps when they, right, when they launched right. the iPhone. So they gave themselves a little time. There's a great post that we'll put in the show notes from Craig Hockenberry, who was uh, one of the developers at the Icon Factory who did the initial Twitterific, which was there on launch day. And it's... It's about how um, developers were going to develop software on the iPhone regardless. Like within weeks of it uh, being released in 2007, they had jailbroken it and and, and used uh, developer tools for the Mac to basically reverse engineer how iOS apps were being written by Apple and writing jailbreak apps with with no developer tools to speak of for iOS. So they they were there at the very beginning. They desperately wanted to be on the platform. And then the next year when the App Store came out, we, the, they finally got the chance to do it. So that would when developers are that hungry to re, to be on a platform, yeah. that's mm-hmm. probably a good sign. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like a uh, a twisting of the Jurassic Park saying, right? Like uh, um, developers, <laughs> developers will, will find, find a, way. a way. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and now, it, I mean, I, it really has changed our conception, right? I mean, it's hard to believe that, that um, I mean, shareware was just a downloadable software in general was just kind of this weird uh, niche nerdy concept. And once the App Store hit, um, it just became something that everybody does. Everybody buys and downloads software on, on their devices now. And yeah. it, it's, it, it's been transformative. Um, mm-hmm. Are there any apps from 10 years ago that you can think of that you still use? Probably the core Twitter app. Like, I'm still, I haven't switched over to any third-party ones. I'm still on that. Mm-hmm. Um, trying to think, what else is that old? Pandora, rather. That was a launch app. And uh, the song recognition ones. One of oh, those. Shazam? Shazam. Shazam, yeah. <laughs> it's all there. Probably, oh, Although Shazam, a lot of that's yeah. built into the OS now, so right. that shows how far things have come. Um, it, not only, you know, was this, you know, a big deal for Apple, too, but I think the idea of just getting your apps from one place right? You have yeah. a store and you go to the store and it gets updated automatically. You don't have to go following random web links. I think that alone, you know, that transformed oh. how Microsoft approached Windows, totally. uh, Windows 10 and everything and Windows 8. And like, that is that is such a simple thing, but it made life so hard for general users. Uh, we needed this in computing for so long. And it took like mobile phones to make it happen. I think if you want to generalize about the one of the biggest tech developments of the past jet decade, it would be the frictionless experience. Because between, like you said, automatic updates that come from one place and um, being able to just buy songs in iTunes, boom, yep. click, it's there. And then Amazon's one click, people got habituated to the idea that they don't have to seek out things and update them and go through multi-step processes. It's one click and they have what they want. And iPhone was a huge part of that. Yeah. Uh, tra- tra- training people to that behavior. iTunes, I-, I would argue that iTunes seeded the ground and iPhone made it a logical extension of software behavior and not just consumer behavior. Regular users were never going to g- do what we computer geeks were doing, which was going to various random websites to download right. software. Nope. And then- and then having to remember, because there weren't a lot of auto-updating things back then, too. So then yeah. remembering to go back later and update it. And, you know, you're you're making an individual payment. You have to put in your credit card every time you buy anything, <sighs> if you buy it. Yeah. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's a trial. Sometimes there's not. That, you know, that said, this is also the push and pull of something like Apple. 
Apple building that app store and having it be uh, controlled and curated and having limitations and, and all of that, it was that was h- highly criticized back in 2008. Yeah. The yeah. idea that you couldn't just make software and sell it on your own website. But in the end, that is also the reason it succeeded. And is not necessarily the curation. You can have a more open policy if you want, or a more closed policy. But the fact that there was one location, it was centralized, made the difference. I think a lot of developers discovered that what worked for them with principles, and I, why would I be beholden to the company store versus what users and audiences wanted? They, they, they learned there was a disconnect, and either they lived with the disconnect, or um, they got on board. <laughs> yeah, It wasn't always great. Yeah, Apple's really restrictive, and there were the censorship issues and everything. Mm-hmm. But man, it's just so much better than like going to download.com or something like that. Like I, <laughs> I once was having drinks with like somebody who used to be a you know top exec at uh, at uh, CBSI, I guess that would be, and uh, like so I was asking, I was like, so how are you guys making money from this? And he was like, oh yeah, there's adware in all that software. Like there's stuff you know that yep. people are installing and they're making money from and you know download.com would always deny it but you would see it in the installers and there's a lot of mm-hmm. hidden stuff there and if you couldn't even trust like the supposedly trustworthy you know pc mm-hmm. stores like who could you trust really all right well happy 10th anniversary to the developers and i'm sure we'll talk about this again in july when it's happy 10th anniversary to the people who use the app store <laughs> we are almost done it is time for our fuzzy puppy update where the Tee-hee. that's weird uh anyway we where we tell you about something that is nice and not creepy and Tee-hee. oh no i think my personal digital assistant is laughing at me <laughs> <laughs> apparently i'm not alone there are reports that amazon echoes are randomly and creepily laughing out of the blue amazon this week announced this problem and released a statement that said in rare circumstances alexa can mistakenly hear the phrase alexa laugh we are changing that phrase to be alexa can you laugh which is less likely to have false positives and we are also disabling <laughs> disabling the short utterance alexa laugh apparently they're also adding a response where she says why yes i can laugh ha 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 instead of mm-hmm. just having the uh the laugh anyway uh that's super creepy people reported that they would be like alone in their house <laughs> at night and suddenly they would hear laughter <laughs> from another room which <laughs> nope. is not good <laughs> what was triggering that I think that's, they didn't fully answer this question, right? Like yeah, people were saying now? it was happening in a quiet room. What was triggering it? What's happening? Is Alexa becoming a self-aware here? Like, is this how the singularity begins? I want answers. Or maybe the ghosts are talking to Alexa. Maybe yeah. the ghosts are like, Alexa, I'm no longer able to get their attention. So um, <laughs> it's on you, lady. <laughs> we have random um, echo uh, uh activations all the time in my house where they'll either be like a boodoop which is it's it's i give up i don't understand what you're saying kind of thing or um sometimes it will just start doing things or talking and one one night and this is not quite the same as laughing but one night as we're sitting there watching tv all of a sudden our echo starts telling us a weird story like (laughs) you can ask it for scary stories and things yeah and we're like oh my god really what is happening and it apparently I don't know. You're only validating my decision not to have one of these. You, you know, that's. <laughs> it is strange that people jumped right to the idea that that, that there had been a hack and that they, or, right. you know, which I it's probably again don't don't assume um, bad behavior when just uh, incompetence can be blamed. It's like it probably <laughs> just is is too dumb and it was listening for a phrase that was too easily misunderstood. Yeah. But 
I think trend wise, like this, I've heard complaints about all these assistants for being too cute sometimes. Like, yeah, it's fun that you can ask it for a store, a scary story, but if that gets accidentally activated, it's super bad. Like, or this laughter thing, like maybe mm-hmm. you dial it back a little bit so that uh, you don't freak out your customers because the, the yeah. a strange voice in the house doing weird things is not cool. It's like an interstellar. You, you got to like dial down the humor dial there. You know, otherwise, you are a, a hilarious killer robot, basically. Um, in this vein, by the way, I just wanted to throw a shout out to uh, the most recent episode of The X-Files 2, which is all about smart uh, home and smart devices going insane. It is kind of like a wacky Black Mirror episode. And this season has been really bad overall. Mm. Uh, but this episode, and there's another one uh, right before it that's also really funny. Uh, this episode is just a lot of fun. So if you want to see Mulder and Scully fight the smart home devices, uh, check that out. Beautiful. That is so in the week ahead, what do we what do we have to look out for as we say goodbye? Uh spring break next week. I think uh Stephen Hackett is going on spring break. So you're gonna be down in Florida with uh your shirt off, running around on a beach, uh maybe going streaking like in uh old school, right, Stephen? That's what you're doing. Doesn't right? really sound like me. Yeah. <laughs> it's not my version of spring break. You're not getting like the, the, the locks with the braids on with the no. beads on the end. No, nothing Get, getting nothing, a grill uh, tropical or sandy in my future. All right. But you won't be here, next, be here week, next week. So I will I will soldier on without you um laughing randomly in the background to disturb me. Maybe it was you all along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh also probably the AI revolution will continue and we'll all be uh overthrown dead. by oh, yeah. our I'll be dead devices. Probably next week. Could be could be anyway that brings us to this uh edition's end lisa schmeiser where can people find the stuff that you do i would start at twitter uh where my handle is l s c h m e i s e r if you're looking for stuff i've podcasted or written myself if you want to read the stuff that i edit you go to itprotoday.com and devendra where can people find the stuff you do oh i'm at devendra on twitter and i write about tech and gadget uh, com, and i do a weekly movie podcast at slash film.com so go check that out that's right if you enjoyed our movie past discussion check out yeah. the slash film podcast too so much we got ryan johnson on after the star wars so i that heard that cool. i heard that but you <gasps> didn't you didn't get to talk to him though i was really disappointed i was like oh i bet devendra's t- oh no it's not Devin. yeah i mean i had it's a bummer we definitely threw in questions but it was one of those things where it made more sense to have one host just kind of go down the list and then we had some chats after yeah that's cool that's awesome. I had a friend who got uh, faved on uh, uh, one of his tweets got faved by Ryan Johnson yesterday and everybody was <laughs> he's, very uh, excited. He's, uh, he's so great. Yeah. He's <laughs> very cool. Well, okay. Uh, Stephen Hackett, have a good time on spring break and I'll miss you next week. Will do. And everybody else out there, I won't miss you next week because you'll be listening, right? Right? Uh, anyway, I have been and will continue next week to be Jason Snell and I will be watching those headlines so you don't have to. See you in a week. Bye, everybody. Bye.